Thank you for listening to this Lunchtime Talk, produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. In this live recording, the Art Gallery's curator of Australian paintings and sculpture, Tracy Locke, speaks about Nora Heisen's painting, Ruth. Welcome to the Art Gallery of South Australia. And my name is Tracy Locke, and I'm the curator of Australian paintings and sculpture here at the gallery. And it's my great pleasure to speak to you today about this wonderful painting uh, here by Nora Heisen called Ruth and painted in 1933. The reason I'm speaking about this today, there are a couple of reasons. The first one is to highlight for you some of the Australian works of art that have been incorporated it into the Melrose Wing that we stand in now uh, as a result of our Australian art collection, our permanent display being dis disassembled to make way for the Colours exhibition. So um, as I've said before, there's still a very strong pulse in Australian art and so it's a great opportunity for me today to speak about Australian art and certainly a great South Australian-born artist. The other reason I wanted to speak about this work was to highlight also for you the fact that in the new year, in March, the National Gallery of Victoria will be staging a major uh, exhibition of the work of Nora Heisen, but also an exhibition of the work of her father. So the two artists side by side, so it's a very exciting time. I'm one of the contributors to that catalogue, as is uh, Professor Cathy Speck, who joins us next door at the university. And so I knew my mind was going to start getting into the mind of Nora uh, at this point in time, so we're starting to write our entries for that catalogue. So it's all quite timely. and. Um, in addition to that, of course, of all the Australian works of art we could choose to incorporate into this uh, Melrose Wing, I felt that Ruth had to be in it. It is a portrait that has been rarely off display, and I think you will agree with me that actually it has quite a commanding presence. It has a very powerful sculptural quality to it. It's a very arresting image. And some of the reasons for that are not overtly, are not necessarily overt or clear. And perhaps the image to you may feel, feel almost strangely familiar to you in some way. So it is an image that holds its own. Um, you know, sometimes we may think, gosh, how will the Australian art works, how will the paintings and sculptures hold up in the Melrose Wing alongside some of these very great masters that are on display here. I chose this location for, for Ruth in this space for a couple of reasons and, and one of them were that Lucian Freud, this portrait, major portrait by major British artist Lucian Freud, he of course studied at the Central School of Art in London only a few years after Nora did. And of course Stanley Spencer, another great British artist, and he was an artist that Nora Heysen regarded as being one of the most original of British artists of the period. So I felt she sort of, certainly visually, uh, she certainly holds 
the ground or holds the wall here, if you like, with, amongst this company, but also in terms of art history in the period, uh, it is the right place to put this portrait of Nora. So I'm going to just touch on Nora's biography. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the role of her father in her life, a little bit about her opinion of this work, and uh, the style and a bit of analysis, and then a bit of a, a fun argument at the end, which you can all debate with me if you wish. Um, so of course, Nora Heisen was born on the 11th of January, uh, 1911, only a few months before her parents, her very well-known parents, Sally and Hans Heisen, purchased um, the Cedars property at Handorf here in South Australia. So she was born at a very sort of happy time and a fruitful time and a successful time in her own father's life. She was the fourth born of eight children. So any of you that are middle children have some sympathy for Nora uh, because she had to elbow her way either side of her within the family. So she um, proved to be actually one of the most precociously, artistically talented children of the family. By the age of 22, Nora had staged a successful solo exhibition just down the road here at the South Australian Society of Arts. By the age of 22, she had won the Melrose Prize for Portraiture. And by the age of 22, uh, she had also had the quite esteemed situation of having her own work represented in three different public art collections. So that's really quite an achievement. She went on further. At the age of 27, she uh, was the first woman artist to win the Archibald Prize. And then at the age of 32, she was the first woman artist to be appointed an official war artist. Stella Bowen was also appointed at the same time, but I'll clarify, Nora commenced her appointment before Stella Bowen. So a hugely sort of exuberant, successful start to her career. However, her life, which was very long, I might add, Nora lived to the age of 92. She passed away in 2003. But in her long life, she was certainly uh, affected by periods of self-doubt. And um, in fact, you can only imagine what it was like for her because, of course, her father really being a giant in the Australian art world. He had won the Wynne Prize, for example, nine times. He was knighted for his contribution to the art world. And just for you to think about this, in 1935, two years after Nora painted this painting, her father's exhibition at the Art Gallery of New South Wales had 3,000 people move through it every day. We're having really record crowds here for colours and we're getting about 1,000 people a day. That gives you a measure of the incredible interest in the work of her father. Um, I could go on, but very late, 
or a little bit later in Nora's career, in 1962, she let down her guard only ever so briefly, uh, and, and it was quite a sort of unusual thing for her to do. But she did say, because my father is Hans Heysen, I don't know if I exist in my own right or not. I suppose I will never now know. So it was, again, despite her acclaim and her supporters, she did have a, a difficult time. Despite the challenge and having to try and find some kind of uh, her own identity in her own artistic career, and despite the huge shadow that her father cast, his support for her and her for him was unrelenting. And it was an incredibly rich relationship. And Kathy Speck's book that uh, publishes the letters written between the father and daughter artists make for fantastic reading and a wonderful window into that relationship. But uh, to give you an example, he, uh, Hans was always offering, of course, Nora advice. And he did it in a, a kind of, you know, in a, a, a hand in a velvet glove, if you like. So when, even at the age of 40, uh, Hans writes to his daughter, at that point, of course, an award-winning artist, uh, an established artist, and her father wrote to her about her portrait that she had painted of her uh, husband, Robert. And I'll just show you, um, maybe we'll pass this around, this portrait here of Nora's husband, Robert, in his bomber jacket. Her father wrote to her when he saw this image of uh, the portrait. He said, Nora, it's the best thing you've done so far in the portraiture line. If I may make a comment, <laughs> the hills against the sky nearest the head seem too positive and detracted, and the folds in the right sleeve are not sufficiently considered in pattern in relation to the whole. Still, you've done a jolly good job. Uh, so, so fantastic, that very gentle uh, dialogue. Essentially, Nora's career was in two parts. Her early career, for which Ruth here is an example, and then the second half was really her sort of post-London period. She spent three years in London and travelled through Europe from 1934 to 1937. And really her work and her palette changed after that period in London. Um, this particular portrait, the focus of the talk today, is very, very interesting in terms of Australian art. The fact that it shows this very characteristic development in Australian painting after the First World War period, where artists started the works of artists and paintings of artists took on what is called and referred to as a glittering transparency, a kind of linear quality, where prior to that, you had this soft, poetic, hazy approach to painting. It's almost like the fog cleared away and artists started to look very hard at things.
and paint pictures that look very, very hard. There is a kind of cool discipline to the painting. It's, it's very calculated and there are very uh, sharp outlines, very, very clear treatment of this form. And you, I feel like sometimes these particular pictures, and in fact for which artists like uh, George Lambert, um, Adelaide Perry, uh, John D. Moore, um, Arthur Murch, they were all using this kind of way of working. And it's as though they turned all the lights on and got the magnifying glass out and really stared at their subjects and pulled everything back. There's not a, a shred or a feeling or any sense of anything being um, hazy or soft. It's a very, very hard image. It doesn't mean the expression or the, the uh, outward feel of the painting is hard or cool, but the approach is hard and cool. So it's a wonderful example of a lot of work that was, was being done uh, during that kind of post-First World War period. So she was very much of the moment. The sitter that we see here is, is a really interesting um, identity. Her name was in fact Rhonda, Rhonda Paik of the Paik, German Paik family in Handorf. And um, she sat for Nora on several occasions, and Nora painted a few oils of uh, Rhonda, and she also completed a number of drawings by, of, of Rhonda, and we have a couple of those drawings of Rhonda wearing overalls and so forth in our own collection here. Um, apparently, Nora never really, always felt a little bit guilty about the fact she changed the title of her name to Ruth, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a little minute. However, uh, of course, Rhonda was a very good Lutheran girl, and um, it said that apparently when Nora, after several su successful sittings and using Rhonda as a model, Nora asked her would she mind very much if she would pose nude for her? And uh, apparently there was just a cloud of dust at the Cedars and there was never another sighting of, of our dear Rhonda. Um, she, uh, being a good Lutheran girl, I thought that was, thought that was a bit uh, risque. Uh, she did go on to live her, the rest of her life in Handorf, Rhonda, and was known to have been a wonderful, wonderful gardener. And uh, Nora did revisit her 60 years later after this period and um, was hoping to sort of swap notes and exchange uh, life experiences with, with Rhonda and tell her all about, you know, Nora tell her about the success of, of Ruth and her portraiture and so forth. And it seemed that Rhonda wasn't as interested in that conversation as Nora was hoping. But um, it is a lovely story. But perhaps what is more interesting here is the fact that Nora changed the title. And she changed it to Ruth, which of course we know has a biblical uh, reference to it. Ruth was a widowed woman uh, in the story of Ruth. She was uh, a very wise and very loyal individual, a very strong woman. Uh, who, of course, later became well known as the great grandmother of the King of David. 
Um, so she had a presence, but I would suggest to you that the kind of biblical or Christian illusions that Nora has almost set up for us here uh, could go further. And I'm sure that you will agree that the pose and the painting itself has quite a kind of Raphael or Italian uh, Renaissance feel to it. Even if you think about the classic example by Michelangelo of Mona Lisa with her hands uh, crossed, not that dissimilar to this, and again with this classic landscape behind her. This landscape does, on one level, my mind goes straight to those fantastic paired back uh, landscapes her father was painting of the Flinders Ranges. But in the next breath, when I think about the pose here and the almost Madonna-like presentation of this image, it has quite an Italianate uh, landscape feel to it as well. So what is also really interesting about this painting for me when we look at it and spend time with it is the way that Nora has approached the painting of it. She has um, spent a lot of energy focusing on the hands and the arms, and hasn't she done it so beautifully? It's always uh, very telling with an artist if they're really truly good if they can paint hands and arms. And she's done that very well, and the modeling is very detailed, as is the face. And she has put a lot of focus and energy onto the face. And it's really the expression in the eyes that draw us into this composition. The rest of almost, I mean, how much of that image and this painting in terms of the surface area is almost very, very blocked in, very simple. And yet a lot of high modeling here. She's She's actually included in this painting a couple of little visual tricks. Okay, so if you look at this painting closely later, you'll see that this line that follows the back, the, her arm up here to her shoulder, and this line here is really, really critical in her painting of this work, because what she's done with her treatment of that line, she does not take the paint up to one another. There is a very slight gap, okay? There's a bit of almost raw canvas sitting in here and a bit of a pencil line still showing. It's very full of energy, that line, I have to say, and full of energy here, and little, little tiny gaps of nothingness. And by doing that, she's pushing the sitter forward. Immediately, that landscape is pushed back. So she's playing in a very sophisticated way with space and visual devices. This line, for example, I'm just looking at it as I speak, this hill here, this line does not continue to the edge of her, her top, okay? Classic technique is to pull it up beforehand. So we get this push and pull visually, very clever. The other thing she does is she tosses that braid behind her shoulder. 
Okay, if that braid was coming down here, in fact, it's quite possible there's a bit of pentamente here. She may have had it here. It's going behind her shoulder, so immediately we sense there is space behind Ruth, and she's sitting in front of that landscape. So fantastic, subtle plays that are going on. She's also positioned her very close to the picture plane, uh, and, and that's what also gives her that commanding presence. So it's about the placement. She's considered the sitter's placement within the composition uh, very, very well. In fact, that reminds me to speak about how the very fact that this work was, was purchased by this art gallery only months after it had been painted. It was included in Nora's 1933 exhibition here in Adelaide at the South Australian Society of Arts. And I found a note on our files here at the gallery uh, because I thought, gosh, you know, um, it's unusual for the gallery to act sometimes that quickly to purchase a work from an exhibition, but more so the work of an artist so young. Okay. And then I found a note written by the director of the Art Gallery of South Australia, and it turned out that he went down to a viewing of Nora's first big solo exhibition. He went down the day before it opened and he met with the trustees of the gallery board down there. And then he put in writing a statement about Nora Heisen and, and the purchase of this work. Uh, and his name was Leslie Wilkie at the time, our director. He says, I went down to the exhibition. I inspected the above uh, exhibition. I find it interesting on account of its high standard and shows the great promise of this very youthful artist. That she is a South Australian, we should feel very much gratified. And it is to be hoped that success in her future environment will come easily. She shows a great deal of promise in her portraiture. And I would recommend your considering the purchase of Ruth at 60 guineas. It is soundly drawn and shows pleasing color that one so young should give such a direct transcript in handling is astounding. Okay, so again, I think what I'm saying to you about her approach here and her technical finesse is something that the, was not missed uh, on our former director at the time. Of course, it was purchased in 1934, supported wholeheartedly. Nora herself always regarded this portrait as one of her best, and certainly the best one she did of, of Ruth. Um, and I found, I found a little quote about this work. She wrote about it 20 years after painting it, and she was writing uh, to her family. And she said, it's quite telling actually, which is why I'd like to share it with you and just hold you for a moment, but she says, it is only appropriate that mother should own that first painting of Ruth, a different one to this, uh, because her father wanted to buy it for her mother for Christmas, buy it from, from Nora. So Nora says, it is only appropriate that mother should own that first painting of Ruth. 
as she was instrumental in getting her as a model. When I look back upon the quiet days in the studio with Rhonda patiently and serenely posing and with refreshments brought to us, the more I appreciate the atmosphere, for want of a better word, that made painting like that possible. And I realize that I have never since found a like set of circumstances, a studio with freedom from financial and domestic worries. Painting requiring contemplation demands some stability in one's way of life. So what she's saying here in marking the time is that to be so fruitful and to produce a really terrific work like this does require a lot of the right circumstances and the right support. And one may suggest that a lot of that she did, Nora did face a lot of personal challenges later in her life, which meant she didn't have that right set of circumstances to go forth. And to give you a sense of that, uh, she writes, she later got married. And uh, in 1965, to give you, a, again, just a, a glimpse into her family and private life and the challenges that she faced, in 1965, she wrote uh, about her husband, Robert. He was, in fact, quite a famous and, and successful tropical medical specialist. And in 1965, she wrote home to her family. Robert returned home from New Guinea. He caught me in the middle of trying to clean up after an orgy of painting. Now I'm frantically trying to restore order before he takes off again. Before then, all the clothes have to be washed and ironed. I'm also trying to finish the portrait of Charles Rowley. 24 hours in the day is not nearly enough. So you get this tension occurring where she's having to stop all the time her painting to be the good wife. And um, in 1962, so even before this, we, we hear her, she writes home, uh, we, as in her, her husband Robert, uh, we entertained a beautiful Indian woman doctor the other night. I'd rather had been painting her in her glorious rose silk sari than preparing a meal for her. <laughs> So uh, it was always uh, a very, very difficult thing for her to juggle. Um, you know, one does make, it does make one realize how even, uneven the playing field is. She could, dare I say it or suggest it, she could well have been uh, a more high-profile artist like her father if she too had a purpose-built studio and, and a wife and uh, help in the home and someone to cook for her and bring her refreshments uh, and a wife to organize invitations for exhibitions and so forth and so on. So it's just a little reminder about um, uh, women artists 
and women in the world and their, their challenges. I do have some quotes that really talk about her time in London, but we're running out of time, so I'm going to leave them uh, for, for the moment to mention. What I will say to you is that I did have the great opportunity to meet Nora Hyson in 2003, but prior to that, I had an opportunity uh, unexpected one to speak with her on the phone in the early 1990s. It was at a time when my predecessor, Jane Hilton, was working on the South Australian Women Artists Exhibition, and we were tracking down a beautiful still life by Nora called Camellias to include in that exhibition. And while we're in dialogue with Nora, we were negotiating the purchase of a, a portrait, a self-portrait of Nora that she painted in 1954. And so she was ringing, this is the days when we used to use landline phones. And uh, uh, the phone rang in the office and I picked it up and it was Nora Hyerson on the end of the phone talking about the fact that she was pleased we're going ahead with this uh, portrait of her in her bomber jacket in 1954, the time she'd just got married. And um, she said to me on the phone, you know, I've got this other portrait, um, but it's a little bit crumpled and it's under my bed. Um, do you think you might be interested in it? You know, it's another, and it is a self-portrait. And I said to her, I was very, very young and uh, in my early curatorial career, and I said, look, I'm sure we would love to know about it. We'd love to see it. Um, why don't we organize for it to be picked up at the same time as the other portrait that we're buying from you? And we'll get it over and have a look at it. And when it arrived, this little self-portrait that had been shoved under her bed, it had obviously been rolled at some point and then squished flat. But when it unrolled, and she had mentioned this to me on the phone, it was a portrait she'd done while she was in London. And when she was over there and studying, studying and trying to find her way forward in her practice, it was a difficult time. And it was a difficult in terms of the challenge of making a way into painting, but also financially, but also socially. She was away from that beautiful hub of her family here at the Cedars. And um, she'd also kind of got pretty battered around by a number of high-profile critics that her father had lined up to speak with her about her work. And it, and it was a bruising time. This self-portrait that she painted captured that very, very personal moment in her life. And I have um, uh, an image of it, and it's called, she called it Down and Out in London. And it has a very different feel to her other portraiture. So you're guessing by this, of course, we went ahead and had the work conserved uh, and acquired, purchased the work from her. And it's actually a superb work because of the very fact it shows her very vulnerable and, and at a very difficult time in her life. It's not something she ever exhibited or she regarded as something necessarily for the public uh, to view. But it now stands as a very interesting... Uh, this is the work, by the way, that we were negotiating to purchase, okay? So you can see, too, how it's very more official, more posed, um, but fabulous as well. So, um, again, I had the, the wonderful experience of meeting her, and, and, and when she came in in 2003, when she visited the gallery, 
you know, she was 92, so this was not very long before she passed away, and she was like this queen entering the space, you know. And uh, she was very interested to see her father's work as well on display, and there's quite a known photograph the advertiser took of her standing with her, her stick uh, in front of red gold, almost like a, I don't know, very much a statement photograph and holding her own. Um, she was just fantastic, fascinating lady. But to conclude, and I might add, just uh, within a year of painting Down and Out in London, that quite despairing subject, within a year of painting that, she won the Archibald Prize. Yeah. So to conclude on this note, uh, I would like to argue uh, what I haven't mentioned is, of course, how she did focus her career on still life painting and portraiture to claim some territory of her own. There was really no way she could escape the reputation and association with her father if she roamed into the landscape genre. So um, I argue that it's really through her portraiture that we do see more of the artist herself. On one level with Ruth, we know it's based on a local Handorf girl called Rhonda, as I've mentioned. And then we know it was retitled Ruth by the artist because of its biblical references. But I would argue that this powerful, I'm calling her a modern Madonna, our powerful modern Madonna stands here alone. And um, what we love, or what I love about this work, is this Madonna is not holding her hands in prayer. She's not holding her hands around the Christ child. But she defers to no God and no other person, but she holds herself steady. And, and it's really in when the clear eyes of this subject meet ours, I suddenly feel as though we're meeting the very eyes of the artist herself. An artist at the age of 22 on the cusp of her career. So um, when you look at the circulating portrait image coming around of her in her bomber jacket painted in 1954, I would argue that those eyes, those eyes are the eyes of the artist. So for me, this is, yes, it's of a farm girl who posed. Yes, it's titled Ruth, but I would go further and suggest it's also a little bit of a fascinating, possible, hypothetical uh, self-portrait by the artist. So I think what I would... Oh, one last thing I did remember uh, this morning as I was thinking about this work is something, if I ever got to meet Nora Heisen again, what I would love to say to her, because knowing she did have those moments of self-doubt, of course she was able to see uh, her reputation come back from the margins late in life with a number of major exhibitions and publications of her work. But uh, what I would love to have told her was that our great, great benefactor here, the late Diana Ramsey, right up until her last uh, month, was very clear about the fact that when Diana Ramsey came to the gallery at the age of 10, it was looking at Scabius, a still life painted by Nora Heysen, 
that triggered her passionate, lifelong dedication to supporting the arts. So the legacy of Nora's work is huge and we continue to enjoy the benefits of uh, the way her work did inspire others, not only just to be an artist, but to support the visual arts as well. So I think on that note, I will leave it there, but I'm very happy to um, answer any questions that you may have. I'll also circulate a list of what we have in the collection here by Nora, if you're of interested in that. Um, but are there any questions? Yes, just at the back. Uh, a good question from the audience is, whose portrait did she paint to win the Archibald? And she painted the portrait of, and I knew I'd get this wrong, but I think it was the honorary consul to the Netherlands, his wife, Elink Sherman. And um, the big issue there is that there's a lot of people trying to track that painting down, and it's been very elusive. So we don't know exactly where it is. But if you find out, let us know. <laughs> Any other questions? No. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you.